Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alderson, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, True Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. And you put a 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. That's right. We well, sure wish you would. Should you happen not to be inside the continental United States? That's right. You can just put a 1, one or, or a 0 or whatever zero your, or whatever the whatever country, your country code, code is. Yeah. yeah, that's a fairly easy process. And I guess most people who live outside who call into the U.S probably know all that i'm sure <laughs> but not difficult at all but people who listen to us on podcasts or on stitcher or any of the other fine internet based podcasts right. uh, type sites there's a bunch of them out there and they're all real good a lot of times they'll say well you don't ever get a chance to listen to you live so i can't call in but what you can do is actually go to our website and if you click on podcast you're going to see a little stopwatch right over there on the left hand side uh-huh and that stopwatch actually counts down the hours, days, minutes to the show. Correct. And when it's at one hour before our show, if you click on it, it will bring you to a live feed, courtesy of iHeartRadio. Uh huh. And you can listen to the show live. That's great. There you go. That way you can call in, so you got no excuse no. for that. <laughs> go ahead and give us a call. Of course, we really like hearing from folks here in Baton Rouge, but we like hearing from our folks from out of town as well. Sure, and the furthest caller this morning will get a free Agco t-shirt mailed out Monday morning, USPS. Well, that is absolutely correct, and that's just a little added incentive for you to give us a call. There you go. And then only request, and it's just a request, mm-hmm. that you take a picture of yourself in our t-shirt in front of a local landmark. Yeah, we really like that. Send it that. to us. We'll put, put it on a website. Mm-hmm. Put it on a website. with. I got one of a guy standing in front of some beautiful mountains and stuff. Got another fella actually from Serbia uh-huh. who took a picture in front of one of the local monuments. So if you do get a chance to call in, we sure appreciate hearing from you. And kind of tell us about what it's like in your area. Of course, in South Louisiana in August, ain't yeah. one thing we can talk about. That's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it is very, very, very hot. It, you know, heat tends to affect cars in a number of different ways. Obviously, overheating is one of them. Uh-huh. But there's lots of other ways that heat can affect the car. Of course, air conditioning, if it's the least bit marginal, is probably not going to work. Right, yeah. Once the outside temperature reaches 95 degrees, mm-hmm. and 100 you, degrees. you've got a marginal system, it's going to quit working. Yeah, I think it's been, the heat index has been over 100 all week. Right, it was actually, uh, I think the news said 103 Yesterday yeah. at 3 o'clock, yeah. something like that. So Temperature way, way up there, around 95. Humidity around 100%. So that air conditioning is really, really doing a oh, yeah, they're hard, working. hard number, man. And one thing that a lot of folks don't realize is that your air conditioning is working hard, but most air conditioners have a couple of different settings on them. You want to make sure you have it on recirculate. Right, because you don't want to try to cool that in outside air coming in. You want to take the air that's already in the car. That's right. Because it's already been cooled once. Well, cooled and dehumidified is a big thing. But a lot of times what the car companies do is they'll label that button like maximum and they'll label the other one economy or something like that. And people will take that to mean maximum. Okay, well, it must be working harder. Okay. So I'm going to take it off of there to make it a little easier on it. (laughs) And it works exactly the opposite. And if you're in South Louisiana, you probably know that already because if you put it on fresh air it's just not going to cool the car right even, I, even the best systems won't work i know on a chevy truck you can tell a difference when you go from recirc to outside air mm-hmm. the fan speed actually sounds like it speeds up mm-hmm. so that's kind of a, an indicator that yeah you, you actually, actually well, you got the outside air kind of giving you a little bit of a boost to your fan system because you got a little positive pressure on the fan system and it may turn a little faster but it's just not going to cool because it just it has to take that air dehumidify it take the heat out of it and has to keep doing that. Correct. Because it's putting hot air back into the car constantly. Whereas when you only recirculate, what it's doing is taking the air that's already in the car and just recooling that. Right. So much, much, much easier on the car system. And 
we get that sometimes. Some of the vehicles actually they have a default setting where when you start the car, it'll go to one or the other, either it'll go to fresh or it'll go to recirculate. And what we see sometimes, folks will go in, change the battery in their car, and when they do, it loses the default settings. Uh So before it was going to recirculate automatically, all they did is start the car and the car was cool. Well, now they're starting the car and it's not cool. And they don't realize there's even a setting there. (laughs) So, yeah, we get folks come in occasionally, and they'll say, yeah, my car's just not cooling. My AC's not cooling. You check and say, well, you had it on fresh air. Well, I never fooled that. Well, did you have the battery change? Yeah, yeah, just the other day. Well, is that when it quit cooling? (laughs) Exactly. And there are all kind of little default settings that it may revert to when you disconnect the battery because it does kind of keep all that in memory. And some of them will automatically go to one setting or the other. Some will just default to a different setting. But you got to watch and make sure all the buttons are set in the correct positions. Right, and that, that goes back to changing the battery correctly. You really don't want the system to go dead while you're changing the battery. If you can at all help it, and I had a gentleman send me an email this morning, and he was asking me just that question, and he said he had tried one of those little 9-volt batteries you plug in a cigarette light, and it didn't work. And I've seen where those don't work a lot. of On some cars, it just depends on how it's wired, whether it'll let it back feed or not. Mm-hmm. We've actually got a system that we, it's a jumper battery. We mm-hmm. actually plug into the... The OBD2 connector? Correct. Mm-hmm. And it back charges and holds the memory well, while we change the batteries tied directly out. to the computer. Correct. So it's unless you've got a blown fuse or something. And what can happen, a lot of those OBD2 connectors are actually powered through the cigarette lighter fuse. Uh-huh. So if, let's say you're plugging a bunch of different accessories into your cigarette lighter and you blow the fuse. Right. Well, then that's not going to work. And, of course, when you go to get an inspection sticker, they're going to tell you you're going to fail also because it can't read that terminal. All they're going to do is plug into that terminal, and if there's no power to the tool, they're going to fail well, you on inspection. it's just going to give them a no communication Correct. error, and they don't really have the wherewithal to say, well, it doesn't have power or is something else wrong. Right. So they're so just going to fail you. Right. Then you got to go to the shop, and they tell you, well, the fuse is blown. And I think that people nowadays tend to use those little connectors Quite a bit more than they used to, just with all the cell phones and GPS and all. Sure, the with all the, the new electronic there. stuff out mm-hmm. that you add on, they all feed through the cigarette lighter because it's a convenient place to get power from. That's right. And I've noticed more cars have gone from one to three or four or well, yeah, several. Use them more and more and request them more and more. Car makers see that as a selling point, so they put more and more of them in. And a lot of them are fused fairly lightly. Right. Uh, so only have like a ten amp fuse or so. So if you plug something just a little bit robust, I've, I've seen them have one plug in. And have four outlets yeah, on yeah. the same one. Yeah, that's so right. That's right. So you can blow that You can pull the amperage pretty quick on them. Pretty doggone easy. So, hey, let's go to our phone lines with Gwen. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Good morning. Yeah, I've been having some issues with my 2004 Trailblazer. Okay. I've had it checked before, and the guy that checked it said it may have been a sensor. He supposedly had changed one of them out. Mm-hmm. Tell me what kind of problem and, you're having, Gwen. Well, it's running sluggish. It's like it's losing power. Okay. And my service engine light okay. soon okay. comes on and off. Like yeah. right now, it's not on. Yeah, well, that's common. Yeah, they, they'll do that. They will cycle on and off because the check engine light virtually checks 2,000 different things on that vehicle. So it cannot okay. check everything on every drive cycle. So if it just happens to not test the thing that's bad on this drive cycle, the light may go off. It's not gone. It's just moved to history. So anyone with the proper equipment can go in and still retrieve it and tell you, and that's where you would have to start. person tells you it might be a sensor, well, that tells you absolutely nothing. There's probably 200 right. sensors on the car, you know. So right. you got to narrow that down just a little bit. But, yeah, what you do is start with that code by retrieving that, and that's not going to tell you what's wrong. A lot of people mistakenly think you plug a machine in and it tells you what's wrong. Absolutely does not. What it will okay. tell you is what circuit is encountering a problem. For instance, it may say oxygen sensor out of range. Well, that doesn't mean the right. oxygen sensor is bad. 
It just means it's out of range. Now, it can be out of range because you got a vacuum leak. It can be out of range because spark plug's misfiring. It can be out of range because the wire's disconnected. So wow. it's going to take a mechanic that knows what he's doing to retrieve the code and then go in and diagnose the problem. But just because the light is off does not mean it can't be checked. It can still be checked. All the information will still be in there. As long as you don't disconnect the battery, it'll still be in there. Okay, so, so I just need to have it You on just need to find thing. someone who knows what they're doing to check that for you. And when they go in and retrieve those codes, that'll give them a good starting point. And if it's been on for a while, it may be more than one problem because what can happen, you can have one thing go wrong, and then if the light's coming on, you're ignoring it. Well, if two more things happen, you're not going to know because it's still the same light, you see. So it may be more than one thing at this point, but it's not anything that can't be fixed. You just need to get it in. The big thing to remember, Gwen, with a check engine light is it's an early warning system, and it's always trying to help you. If you ignore it, it's going to get way more expensive down the road because whatever it is is going to damage other stuff. Right. So That's where you get the the multiple codes from. Right. That's where we see the big, big repair bills is folks who have been driving around maybe with the light on for a year. Well, now there's three codes and catalytic converters burned up, and it started out as a small problem. So get right. it to somebody as quick as you can. I mean, you don't have to stop okay. today, but just as quick as you can. They, they can retrieve those codes, go in, do a little diagnostic work. If you go to my website, when there's an article in there, How to Find a Good Shop, and that will tell you the difference in finding a shop that can do diagnosis and a shop that just changes parts, because there's plenty of both of them out there, and it's probably a purpose for both of them. But not every shop does everything. Kind of like not okay. every doctor does everything. Some doctors right, right. just treat colds and stuff. Other doctors are brain surgeons. So you need a shop with a diagnostic culture, someone who can go in and diagnose the problem for you. Okay, what's your website? It's agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com, all one word. And that will bring you okay. to a wealth of information. Okay, great. I appreciate it. All right, Green. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive line, we would love to have you. And we're going back to our phone lines with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Oh, hey, how you doing? Doing great. Good morning. Got a question about a, an 09 Camry. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't drive the car very often. Uh, my wife does, and I always get my information about fifth hand. <laughs> Second hand. <laughs> but anyway, uh, my wife tells me just going down the road, a uh, window will open every now and then. Have you ever heard of any such thing? I can't say that it's a common problem. No, I can think of a number of things that could possibly cause that. Most likely, I would think you'd have a shorted wire or a broken wire somewhere in the door because the way the switch works, the motor is actually powered all the time, and the switch controls the ground. So if that wire goes to ground, it could run the window down. There's one other possibility I can think of, Bruce, and that is a lot of those windows actually have a memory on them that operates the express down and all that. Sometimes if you disconnect the battery and it loses that, you have to go back and reprogram that. And if that's not programmed in, it may be trying to relearn that on its own, and it could possibly do something like that. Uh, well, the battery hadn't been changed in it. I thought maybe you had heard of it. No, of it's not a common problem. I can't say it's anything I've had people come in and complain about. I guess I've maybe seen it happen before on the odd car, not necessarily a Toyota Camry. And I think most time we find... Well, the wiring harness goes into the A-pillar. Those wires flex a lot there. And one wire will crack or it'll get chafed. And if it touches ground, it's going to ground the circuit, which is going to run the wire, you know, the window down. That's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's other things. I mean, I guess it could be a bad door switch, and it's just a little loose, and maybe you hit a bump or something, and it flips over or something like that. You might just try working the switch and see if it feels like it's a little something amiss with it or not. You know, just kind of gently work it both ways and see if it seems like something's wrong. Well, a while back we got a recall on it, and it was something in the driver's door. Okay. Well, good. I'd start with that because if they took the door panel off, they may have knocked a wire loose or 
you know, not reattached a wire, and now it's not in the loom, so it's rubbed somewhere. You know, there's all kind of things that'll happen. I always like to start where someone else has been working first. Right. That was. I don't even remember what the recall was. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, but that's been a while. It's been well, and see, ago. yeah, if they left the wire dangling in the door. It may have taken several months to rub through. But it's not in its little loom where it goes, so now it's kind of rubbing against a sharp edge. Well, it may have taken three or four, five, six months to actually wear through the wire, and it's still not worn completely through. It's just occasionally touching. But that would kind of sort of make sense. Okay, well, one thing she said, if I understood right, mm-hmm. was that it's not always the same window. See, they all run through the master switch. Unless the master switch itself is bad, that's the only thing that's going to control all the windows because all the rest of them have individual feeds. But all you right, do have a master switch there. It could be something inside that switch itself. All righty. I just thought maybe you had heard of that. No, problem. really no. haven't. It's not a common problem. Okay. Well, thank you. All right, all right Bruce, Mr. Bruce. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alves, and with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. Of course, you put a 225 in front of there. You can reach us from anywhere in the U.S., and we really appreciate hearing from our out-of-state guests as well. Go ahead and give us a call. We're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And if you happen not to want to be on the radio today or maybe think of something after the show goes off the air today right. or even next week, while we're not on the air, mm-hmm. you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. That's right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Mm-hmm. There's a contact bar on each and every page. You can fill out the little form on the site and send it to Lewis, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. That's right. Normally a whole lot faster than that. Put an article on there this morning on diagnosing hard starts. And that is something that's real common nowadays. It is. It's more common than I think it's ever been in the past, and it's because of the fuel systems that we have today. And It gives you a step-by-step procedure, and a lot of folks are not going to be able to do this because they're not going to have the tooling or the time or whatever, but at least you can understand how this works. Right. And the inspiration for this article, a gentleman actually wrote an email and said that he had had a hard start issue. He changed his fuel pump. He still had the same problem. Okay. And because fuel pumps do commonly cause that kind of thing, certainly does not mean that's the only thing that can do it. Oh, exactly. 
you, know, you can have a stuck injector, which can make it hard to start. You right. can have a fuel pressure regulator can make it hard to start, and on and on and on. So what this article does, it tells you how to go in and do a fuel pressure test, but how to do it correctly, correctly. because there's a lot more information to be gleaned from that test than just putting it on and reading the pressure. Correct. For instance, if you put the gauge on, turn the key off, and watch how fast the pressure degrades, that tells you one thing. But let's say the pressure actually rises when you cut the key off. Now, what do you do now? Well, that tells you something totally different. Exactly. That this, is a volatile fuel problem. That's then. right. And a lot of times folks will buy bargain brand fuel. Maybe it has too much ethanol in it, or maybe they're adding some injector cleaner to their fuel. The ethanol counts too high, and it's boiling in the fuel rail, which right. will definitely make it hard to start. Lower fuel pressure. And, well, it'll raise it up, and it vaporizes, so now the pressure, when it cools off, there's no fuel pressure. So just one of those things. It gives you a lot of good information. Go on there, read it. I think you'll really like it. It's www.agcoauto.com. And we're going back to our phone lines with Stephen. Good morning, Stephen. Yeah, good morning. Good yes, morning. I have a 1995 Honda Accord. Okay. And I've kind of noticed this problem for, I don't know, maybe a year now. Mm-hmm. I guess it's more frequently a problem like right after it rains, but I, when I start the car, it, it starts up fine, and then the RPMs kind of drop a little bit, almost like it's being choked, and then check engine light comes on, and it it runs normal after that, or it sounds normal after that, and I can drive it, and I don't have any problems with it, but I just, you know, I haven't had a chance to get it checked out. Yeah, I wouldn't keep uh, driving that, Stephen, because that could be a relatively minor problem that's going to turn into a major problem. It's not yeah. one of those things you want to ignore. If the check engine light comes on, that would obviously be where you would start. You go and have the codes retrieved, see what the codes say, and for God's sake, don't take the codes literally because you're going to spend a fortune changing parts. The reason parts stores check codes for free is because they sell a whole bunch of parts, and right. not to your benefit at all. But the code will at least give you an area of what's going on. For instance, let's say you check it, and it's got oxygen sensor codes, and it's got lean bank one codes and that kind of stuff. Well, that doesn't mean the oxygen sensor is bad. That means the engine may be leaning out. So we could be looking for stuff like maybe even something like a plugged-up fuel filter can cause that, something like a fuel pump going bad. All kinds of things can cause the engine to lean out, but at least you know you're probably looking for some kind of a fuel system issue. Now, let's say the code is engine too rich or oxygen sensor out of range to the rich side. Well, now we're looking for incomplete combustion, so something like an ignition problem will cause that. You know, it could be a plug that's misfiring. It could be they've had a lot of trouble on Hondas with the ignition distributors going out on them. The seal in the little shaft tends to go bad after a number of years, and some oil will come up getting that little module. And that would certainly be worse when it's raining because humidity is going to hurt anything electrical. But... It may be stumbling and misfiring a bit, which is running it up too rich. And when it goes to check engine light pops on, then it goes to default readings. It just runs a little better on default than it runs actually trying to run itself. So, And that excess fuel gets in the catalytic converter and burns the catalytic converters up. That is correct. So you could end up with the original problem plus a $900 catalytic converter, keep on driving it like that. So get it to someone who knows what to do and have them retrieve the codes. And that's going to tell you the area to start looking and whether you're looking at a fuel problem or a ignition problem or what kind of problem you're looking for that eliminate yeah one little thing will eliminate half the possibilities and so if there, there's, a, there's a lot of different problems that would show itself at, like when the air is really humid or right after rain. oh yeah almost any kind of electrical issue will okay. see almost anything electrical when the humidity is high then that's going to be way worse or a lot of times they're worse when it's hot or temperature related not always but a lot of times but 
you know, something as simple as like a distributor cap not installed correctly. Somebody who put the cap on, maybe stripped one of the little bolts or cross-threaded one of the little bolts, and now the cap's loose, and humidity's getting into the cap, so that spark in there is firing at about 30,000 volts. If you get humidity and it starts jumping around between cylinders instead of going to the cylinder you want, well, it's going to run bad. Once the heat of the engine gets to it and kind of warms it up and burns the water out, maybe it'll run okay. So there's just lots and lots and lots of things that can be. You just got to have some kind of a starting point. You got to be prepared to bring this to a shop and leave it. Yeah, long enough for them to. They're going to have to have it at least overnight mm-hmm. because this problem only happens during the first crank in the morning. Yeah, and what I would do if, if I were trying to find that problem is I would go in and take a hose or something and mist all up under the car to make it humid, just like you know, try to duplicate the rain and put instrumentation on it and see which signal or signals are dropping out, and then you can go from there. But there's literally dozens of things that can cause that. You know, almost any kind of a sensor, the crank sensor could be getting wet. Maybe the connection on the crank sensor is bad, particularly if anybody's been in there working on it. Like if someone changed the timing belt at some point, they may have pulled the connector off the crank sensor and the little O-ring may have fell out when they put it back together. They didn't notice it. And now moisture's getting in there and interfering with that little 5-volt signal, and that'll make it run rough like that. So, I mean, the possibilities are almost endless. You've got to have something to start with. So you're going to need to have – the codes check first to tell you if it's ignition or fuel or whatever. If it's fuel-related, then you attach something to the fuel pressure and read your pressure and see what it's doing when it starts occurring. But that's the way you have to go about trying to diagnose that kind of problem. Yeah, the fact that it's a 95 Honda, I understand that in 1996, the, um, cars went to a standard. OBD2. Like, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I actually have code reader for 96 and newer mm-hmm. cars. Mm-hmm. But like I can't read a ninety five. Right. Well, it's still, still got information in there. It's just Even not the same the format. Light goes off. Doesn't matter. It'll, it'll still be in be there. In memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should still be in there. You just don't want to disconnect the battery now yeah. because or all of, don't clear the memory what, or disconnect the battery. What now. information is there? We will be able to use. It's not going to be a, a great deal of information, yeah, it doesn't, but there'll be enough to get you. As a newer car. Right. They'll get. It's enough to get you started. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alrighty. All right, thanks. All right, sir. All right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, we would love to have you. And we're going back to our phone lines with Bobby. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Yes, Good sir. morning. Lewis, you mentioned that, uh, that one of those fellows is speaking, to about the ethanol fuel problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, and sir. Since I had a... Now I'm a victim of the ethanol fuel problem <laughs> in a small gas engine. Yeah. I'm calling. Do you recommend doing anything besides moving to to, you know, to a different country uh, <laughs> to protect like, my auto? Yeah, good question. Bobby, could you hold on? i got to take a quick little break, but I'll get sure. to you straight off after the break. All right. All right, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Loud noise off the 
Hey, welcome back. If you're joining us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, just before the break, we were talking to Bobby, and Bobby was asking about ethanol and fuel. Bobby, I got a pretty nice article on my site all about ethanol and such, and to answer your question, I don't know what we could do to get fuel without ethanol. I know there are a few people who claim to sell it and all, but it's always kind of one of those little off-brand stations, so... That's one possibility if you want to look around and find a station that sells fuel without ethanol. But you just got to be real careful around those stations because they tend to hold on to their fuel for a while. Right. And it gets contaminated Get older faster fuel than and that it would sort of thing. The biggest normally. thing with ethanol is the fact that you really, the life of it is three months. And you go through phase separation around that time. So you definitely want to get fuel that's fresh. You don't want to take some fuel, put it in a can, and keep it for three, four, five months, keep it all summer or all winter long, and then dump it in your lawnmower. That's going to definitely cause you some issues. Right. The best thing to do would be maybe buy two or three gallons, keep it on hand for mowing the grass and stuff like that during the during the summer. About two months, dump it in your vehicle. Mm-hmm. That and put a go ahead and top the tank off with fresh fuel. It will dilute that old fuel enough to where it won't be a problem, and then you can get some fresh fuel for your lawn equipment. Right. But beyond that, there's just not a whole, whole great deal you can do. Of course, if you put a fuel stabilizer in it, it's not going to extend it a great deal. We will extend it some. But okay. the biggest thing is just be sure that you keep your fuel real fresh because the biggest problem comes in when it gets old. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. I'm saying, you know, that's one thing. So you ruined a you know, small two-cycle engine. Then mm-hmm. I looked at my car. I said, hmm, I oh, what's yeah. going on here. Exactly. Well, it's not yeah. a good thing for sure. You know, I got an email here from a fellow in Juarez, Mexico, and actually he's said the same thing. There's a huge number of people in his area, fuel pumps are going out in their cars, and he was wondering what was going on. And, you know, not only the ethanol can kill a fuel pump, but a lot of times you get fuel that has high sulfur content in it. I don't know if you remember back several years ago, we had a batch of that come through the area. I think it was made at the Shell Motiva plant, and it took out a number of fuel pumps. Oh, and yeah, all down the coast. Yeah, Shell actually ended up reimbursing those folks for the repairs they had to have. It was some high sulfur fuel, and that it the sulfur content in the fuel depends on where the oil came from, and it just didn't take enough sulfur out, so it was more or less like sulfuric acid eating up the fuel pumps. Oh, and, uh, so you can it's just all kind of thing. Look, it just comes at us from every direction, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, like I said... <laughs> You know, you got to keep a positive attitude. Oh, I guarantee you do. You do. (laughs) Blow your mind if you don't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it really will because, you know, lots of things, uh, if you look at a bunch of things, you could sure be down in America today. But anyway, okay, I just wanted to check because I want to, you know, I like to keep my cars for about 40 years. That's right. That's That's me. That's me. Keep keep you guys working on them and you get a better car doing that. There There you go. go. Okay, take care. All right, Bobby. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. And we got Craig online. Good morning, Craig. Yeah, I have a 96 T100. Okay. 275,000. Wow, and, uh, okay. What it's doing, uh, when I get up about 55 miles an hour and I go to speed up from that speed, mm-hmm. it, it wants to miss some, you know. Okay. Then I've had to check engine light come on a couple times mm-hmm. in the last six months and misfire you know yeah uh, general misfire right is it setting any kind of a specific solar misfire or is it just a general misfire do you have to wherewithal to determine the difference i'm trying to remember it's been a little while back i think it, it did might have said a couple of them you know? yeah what i would do craig if you go on my website i've got an article on there about diagnosing misfires and there's two different kind of misfires you have a general misfire which is occurring on all the cylinders and then you have a specific misfire which is occurring on a specific cylinder if you can narrow it down to a specific cylinder, like let's say it's misfire on cylinder number two. Well, now we know that one cylinder is being affected, so we can forget stuff like the fuel pump and the oxygen sensors and all the stuff that affects all the cylinders and narrow down on just stuff that affects that one cylinder. 
And the real easy way for a do-it-yourselfer to do that is just take the spark plug out of number two that's missing and move it, say, to number one, which isn't missing, and do the same thing with one, put it in number two. Go drive it again. If a misfire occurs and it moves to cylinder one, we've got a bad plug. If not, if it stays on two, take the call and move it to the next cylinder and drive it again. Same story until you narrow down the specific component that's causing the problem. I mean, there's a number of things. A spark plug could certainly miss at that type of range. Ignition calls can miss at that particular range. Even a fuel injector could miss at that particular speed range. But you need to determine if it is a general misfire or a single cylinder. If the same cylinder is misfiring every time, then we know it's specific to that cylinder, which makes it a little bit easier to track down. Yeah, it seemed like it was a different one the second time it did. It seemed like it was a different cylinder, so it, I don't think it's the same one every time. Yeah, uh, but if it's a single cylinder misfire, it's going to be different than if it's every cylinder missing at the same time. You know, you got okay, misfires on yeah. every cylinder, then we're yeah. looking at something like a fuel-air mixture problem, maybe the fuel pump getting right. weak on it or the mass airflow meter not working. But if it's affecting specific cylinders, like it's a one number one, or if it's number one this time, it's number three the next time, it's still a specific cylinder being affected. So right. we can forget the stuff that affects all the cylinders. This is something specific to one or two cylinders. Uh-huh. So, you know, if you just want to try something and you're fairly handy and you don't mind spending a little bit of money realizing it may not fix it, I mean, the first thing I do is change the plugs in it if it hadn't been now, done I recently. I changed them about 20000 back, put Toyota plugs and okay. wires okay. on it. Okay. Pull the plugs out then and take a look at them. Make sure, look at the condition of them. If one of them is a lot dirtier than the others or something like that. It is possible you got a bad plug. That happens occasionally. Mm-hmm. If not, you could have a – we have changed a few ignition calls on these vehicles. But, again, you have to know what cylinder is missing and then move the call to another cylinder and see if the misfire moves unless you got a lab scope or something where you can see the pattern on the call. That's the only other way mm-hmm. to test it. So, I mean, it can be tested with the right equipment, but to do it yourself or that's the only way you're going to be able to do it is with just right. a little detective work. Yeah. Well, look, man, thank you very much. Okay, Craig. All right, sir. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. And that's the way you can diagnose a lot of things if you don't have any equipment. Of course, in the shop, we've got the luxury of having the factory scan tool, which will identify where the misfire is, which cylinder or cylinders are being affected. We can put a lab scope on sensors and see what the pattern is. We can check the calls. We can check the fuel injectors. We can do a flow test on injectors. Right. Being a shop, we have that specialized equipment. Right. Whereas the do-it-yourselfer is not going to go out and spend thousands of dollars to fix one misfire. That's correct. And so the only other thing you can do is what they call a substitution method, and that's if you can trace it to a specific cylinder. Just substitute those parts to another cylinder that's not missing. Correct. And most of the parts are the same between cylinders. Right. For instance, the ignition call, you can usually move it to a different cylinder, see if the misfire moves. That is so much better than going to buy a call and put on because you may go buy a call, put it on. Okay, well, a new call is not an own good call. Exactly. So let's say you get a second defective call. Well, now you go looking on a big old tangent of things, and really the call was a problem all the time. You just got two bad ones. Because a new part does not equal a good part. That's true. So what you can do, if you move it to a different cylinder and the misfire moves, well, now you know you're onto something. Right. And same thing with the spark plug, even the same thing with the fuel injector. You can move it to a different cylinder. Right. You have to be a little more handy, but, but yeah, you can can be done. But it's a lot better than going out buying parts and trying to just change parts, hoping to fix something. Oh, most definitely. So anyway, did a little tip on misfire diagnosis. There you go. (laughs) And we're going back to our phone line with Gail. Good morning, Gail. Lewis, I'm going to take your advice and change out my batteries before I need to. I sure love doing that. <laughs> that has made my tip- life a whole lot easier. What kind of tips can you give me about changing a battery in a car, particularly not to lose the codes that are in the battery? 
Yeah, what you're going to need to do is have some type of a backup source, Gail. You know these little jumper batteries that they've got where you can jump start your car? Yeah. Those are real handy. We take one of those sometimes and just jump across the battery and just be real careful when you disconnect and don't touch it to anything because everything's still alive. Beyond that, you just going to have to figure out some kind of way to hook 12 volts across those terminals. Not the easiest thing in the world. They make a little deal you plug in the cigarette lighter, but most that's times what, those don't work. I've that's had what real, I was going to ask you about. I've had real poor luck with those. I just, I'd just i say probably 90% of the time they don't work. Yeah, we actually okay. started out with one of those and realized that it wasn't doing the job it, we needed it to do. So mm -hmm. we actually upgraded to the, the jumper battery, like Lewis was saying. And now we've actually got a, a component now that it's a battery with an OBD2 connector on it. And it plugs into the OBD2 and back powers it that way. Right. That's um, tied directly to the computer. So correctly. you can plug into that little terminal underneath the dash where they check your codes at. And uh -huh. that'll backfeed the computer and keep it up for you. Now, one thing, too, Gail, I don't know about most places, but I know like at Agco, when we sell you a battery, we install it for you for free. And we do all that for you. So right. we don't charge anything to, to replace it anyway, and we're reasonable in our battery prices unless you just enjoy doing it yourself. If you enjoy doing it yourself, then you could have to figure out some kind of way to hook up a jumper across it. I mean, I imagine you could fashion something with some alligator clips and some wire and just use the old battery uh -huh. because it's still up right now. It hadn't died yet. So get you a couple of alligator clips and a couple of short lengths of wire, make you two little jumper leads, and just hook from the old battery to the terminals and then keep that connected, move the battery out of the way, set the new battery in place, put the terminals back down on the new battery before you disconnect anything, uh -huh. and that would be a way to do it. Do you recommend putting any grease or anything on the terminals? Doesn't do really help anything. No. Good battery is not going to corrode. In fact, I've got an article on the website on terminal corrosion. If you go in and read that, it'll kind of tell you about it. But what terminal corrosion is, that's the battery is leaking where the seal is between the case and the battery. And that's hydrogen gas and sulfuric acid leaking up, getting on that lead, causing it to corrode. You can clean it off all you want, and it's just coming back. And you can put grease, you can put whatever you want on it. It's going right through it. It's sulfuric acid. It's going to eat through anything you put on it. The only way to prevent that is that when you start to see it, bring the battery back and make them exchange the battery because that is a defect in a battery. And right. that's under warranty. So buy a good battery to start with. And if you get a good battery, you're not going to have near as much trouble with it. But if it does start doing that, bring the battery back and make them exchange it for you. Because right. I've seen that acid run down and get on an air conditioning line, eat a hole in that aluminum line, and end up with a $1,500 repair. To, you know. and, and that's just a short term. Once it gets out and gets on the metal parts mm -hmm. of the car, most of your front wheel, well, all of your front wheel drive cars now, the metal around the battery is actually part of the structure of the automobile. That's right. So you start rusting that out, you're going to have problems on down the line. Oh, yeah. Some of them even actually have the computer is mounted yeah. down under the battery somewhere. And I've seen it eat a computer up and eat transmission lines up and all kind of stuff so anything last thing on. you want is a leaking battery but you're real wise to go ahead and change that before it dies not only are you going to save yourself the aggravation of having a dead battery but you don't stress your alternator and stress your starter out like you do when you run an old weak battery all right all righty all right good thanks okay Cameron. all right sir. thanks man bye 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 499-9526 the number if you want to be part of the automotive i would love to have you we see more damage from a cheap leaking battery oh yeah then, I mean, it just causes thousands well, and thousands and of dollars. I've got an article on the site on that particular topic, and it shows a car where the acid had run down and actually ate hole through the frame rail on it. Uh huh. I don't know if you remember that car. I think it was a little Infinity. Yeah. Uh, been a couple of years ago. We had yeah. to do quite a bit. to take all the seats and the carpeting out because it ran down into the frame rail and ate a hole through the rail, and we had to weld all that back up. But, yeah, it can do quite a bit of damage. I mean, that's sulfuric acid. It's going to eat right through that sheet metal and... Yeah, and sometimes it, it gets on transmission, sometimes it gets on the air conditioning, sometimes it gets all kinds oh yeah, of places. because they, they mount batteries just about everywhere. I've seen them all over the place. I've actually seen them even underneath the back seat. 
mm-hmm. they've got a special little vent on them that vents the mm-hmm. fumes to the outside. Well, at least back there, about the worst case, if it does leak, it it's going to fall out on the ground. Floor. Yeah. <laughs> Not too <laughs> like, bad. But like the old Volkswagen. Yeah, right. Yeah. Too bad relative to all the other things can happen. But that's just a good tip. A lot of people, we had not talked about it in a while, but replace your battery before it goes dead. Sure. And It'd save you a world of trouble. Across Headache. the United States, the average life of a battery is 38 months, and in South Louisiana, it's slightly less because it's so hot. Right. So when you get to three years, hey, you got your money's worth. Just go ahead and take it out. Get your new battery. If somebody else wants that one, hey, here it is. God bless That's you. That's it. Man. Do whatever you want with it. You, <laughs> you know, can have it, yeah. Run a spotlight off of it or Yeah, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do, but I just don't want to get out there on my way to work. 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning, hit the key, click, 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 or, or worse. It's just too much aggravation for the little bit it's going to save. Let's say a usually a good battery is going to be about $90. Uh-huh. So $30 a year, if you go three years, that's, it's worth $30 a year for me to be able to start my car every time I want. Sure. Now, if you go out four years, it costs $25 a year. So what did you save? You yeah. saved five bucks <laughs> by running the risk of a record bill and being stranded. Oh, and, and the inconvenience. Well, Just the inconvenience of a dead battery is detrimental to some people well it is and it, it takes and it eats up your starter it eats up your alternator it stresses everything on the car out causes not, all kind of other problems not to mention the computer it needs 12 volts it, well, that, it works off of a 12 volt reference and it knows the voltage coming in is 12 volts that's right and, and if it's not then the computer starts doing goofy things and before long you've caused a a major problem here. Well, that's right. And you've got a lot of folks, elderly people, who don't drive their car that much, and their batteries will actually end up dying just a little bit sooner. Sure. And that can be really detrimental. Let's say they start feeling bad in the middle of the night and they got to get to the doctor. Well, right. that's a real big problem if you got in debt, batteries dead. So three years, about the life of a battery. Go ahead and just swap it on out. Hey, we're going to take one last quick little break and be right back with more. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me, and take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. Of course, 225 will get to you from out of town if you happen to be out of town listening on one of the Internet-based sites. Right, and we'd love to hear from you this morning. we yeah, still got right. a few minutes we left to answer your questions. several minutes to get your questions answered, and you go ahead and give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out. <laughs> well, we were talking about batteries and some of the other things just before the break there, and again, just one of those things I kind of want to emphasize. We hadn't talked about that in a while, but I know some people say, well, I'm wasting money changing my battery before it goes bad. Well, okay, if that's your philosophy, that's great. Go ahead and wait till it fails. Right, but when it fails, you may be midnight, somewhere and wanting to get home and <laughs> now your car's dead or at very worst 
you're going to have a tow bill. Well, that's right. Which is about 80 bucks. Yeah, that's right. Which is almost the price of a new battery. Well, yeah, and, you know, a lot of times it may break down a very, very undesirable area. You stop to get gas somewhere, maybe in a bad side of town or whatever. There you go. And won't start. Well, now you're more or less at the... At the mercy of the neighbor of, of whatever happens to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines with Charlotte. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I have, a, uh, good morning. I have a, a, an 07 Sierra, mm-hmm. and it has a tire monitoring system yes, ma'am. on yes, ma'am. it. And the right rear tire deal or monitor will it goes crazy. It goes from showing uh, one pound PSI to mm-hmm. 95 to okay. 36. Okay. And it's kind of jumping. Sometime right now I'm driving, it's not on, it's, mm-hmm. uh, everything's fine, and then sometimes it'll be crazy. So is that yeah. something expensive to uh, Normally or? not. What that Most time, if it's one tire that's causing all the problem, it's going to be a little mm-hmm. sensor inside the wheel. There's a little sensor inside of each tire, and mm-hmm. it sends a little radio signal back to a receiver that translates it and puts it in the computer, which puts all that message stuff on the thing, but... There's a little mm-hmm. battery inside those sensors, and most often one of the little batteries will go dead. It's actually part of the valve stem assembly, and if you look on that vehicle, I believe you're going to have a steel valve stem. Uh-huh. Okay, the okay. new they don't make the steel ones anymore. The new ones are going to actually be a rubber pull-through, like look like the old valve stems. Okay. So okay. don't be kind of you know upset if you can't get one to match the rest of them yeah but you can change that sensor and once you change it you have to reprogram it because you have to tell the car the ip address of the little transmitter and all so it knows where it's at and you reprogram the position it's probably about a one hour job to diagnose it break the tire down replace Mm -hmm. the sensor and rebalance the tire and put it back together and little sensors are probably about a hundred dollars a piece i only need one of them so i mean it's not free but it's not Oh my God! You're not thousands of dollars or anything. Probably a couple hundred dollars. A couple hundred dollars. Yes, okay. ma'am. Okay, okay. I'll try to get it in. Not like I said, I don't have any problem with the tire, but I, I don't yeah. like that thing flashing on there. Right. Well, the and the thing is, it is a kind of a handy system. And if you can't trust it, then you don't know because if you get a nail on tire and it does go flat and you ignore it, well. Now you're going to have so yeah. If you, if you can't trust it, it's not worth having. Well, it's kind of like a fire alarm that keeps going off. You just ignore it, and one night your house catches on fire. <laughs> you know. <laughs> True. All righty. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank yes, you, ma'am. ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. And we're going back to the lines with Wade. Good morning, Wade. Hey, Lewis. Brian, enjoy your program, Thanks, man. Sir. Thank I love you. the website, and uh, you guys do a great job. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Mine's concerning maintenance. About a year ago, I bought my daughter a Toyota Corolla 2009. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I keep oil changing it, you know, whenever it says. Mm-hmm. Just recently, I was in there, and I, you know, it's got like sixty thousand miles on it. And okay. I asked the guy, I said, "Well, uh, you know, how much for a uh, coolant flush?" Mm-hmm. He says, "Oh man, you don't need a coolant flush. That's one of those maintenance cars where you can go hundred thousand miles on the mm-hmm. plug." Nah. Well, first so, thing, what's your take on that? First thing, well, you're in the wrong place. Find a better shop. Yeah, you need somebody who can go <laughs> in and check the pH on the coolant and tell you what it's doing. What Toyota states on that car, it's going to have a super long-life coolant, which is good for five years on the initial fill. That's the factory fill. That's their recommendation. Right. Now, when they say five years, they don't mean five years in one day. They mean five years. It is 100% depleted at five years and starting to corrode the system. Oh, okay. Now, the problem is on a secondary fill or subsequent to that, it goes to three years because when everything's filled at the factory, every part of that car is brand new. But when you drain it and refill it, not every part's brand new. There's a tiny amount of corrosion there and all this sort of thing. So it goes to three years thereafter. 
Why don't you go to my website, Wade? There's an article. The last I went there last night, mm-hmm. but I didn't really see anything about Look it. Look on the left-hand side. Go down the second two articles. One is Understanding Automotive Coolants. The one above that is How to Change Automotive Coolants. And that is a in-depth article on coolants. It tells you how they work. It tells you all about corrosion. It tells you what corrosion is. It'll tell you more than you ever want to know. And the second article will tell you how to do it if you want to do it yourself. It'll tell you how to do it correctly. Because we don't mind people doing maintenance themselves at all. I just want them to do it right. Yeah, I try to do. I'm work. I'm putting some filters in my wife's car. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, absolutely right nothing wrong with a man doing maintenance on his own car. That doesn't bother me at all. It's just I want him to do it right. I don't want him right. to go in there and mess something up. And right. I'm gonna tell you, with coolant, you can go so far wrong so fast that you can total now, a car. You yeah. recommend now? I go ahead and get this stuff. Uh, yeah. What year uh, model is it? 2009. 2009, so that's what, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, you're right at it. It's right about due. What we do, actually, we have a two tests that we run on coolant, or three tests. One, we measure reserve alkalinity. Two, we measure pH. And three, we measure dissolved solids. And that will tell you conclusively, yes, it has to be changed, or no, it doesn't have to be changed. So that's the kind of shop you're looking for, somebody who would do that and not give you a blanket statement. Because it's kind of like people. Some of them are going to live to be 100 years old. Some of them are going to die at 30. Same thing with coolant. You know, sometimes it breaks down a little sooner, sometimes a little longer. And what Toyota's giving you is kind of a blue sky yeah, estimate. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. With with coolant, see, it doesn't matter so much about the miles. If you put 100,000 miles in one year, it would probably still look almost like new. Right. But if you put 10,000 miles in five years, it is completely corroded because it happens over time. And it occurs 24-7. So it's breaking down over time, and you're certainly not going to hurt yourself doing it now. It's just you got to do it right. So go in there and read those articles and see how you're supposed to do it. And if you do it correctly, you're not going to have any trouble. You bet. How about the plug issue? The spark plugs, most of the time on Toyota, they're usually pretty easy on plugs. It does have a plug. I think they rate them at 105,000 miles, if I'm not mistaken. And they generally make pretty close to that. They use an iridium plug in it. Some cars are a little harder on plugs than others. Some cars, like on Fords, they say 100. Well, by 80, they're gone, and they're starting to eat up the calls. GM and Toyota seem to be pretty conservative on plugs. They will generally make 100 in those two cars. That little four-cylinder? Right, right. Yeah, the plugs are right there on top, and they're real easy to check. Real, real easy to check. Just yeah. pull them out and measure the gap. If the gap's still right where it's supposed to be and they're not corroded or dirty or anything like that, just put them back in. There you go. And well, I tell you... Better. We live out here Walker. She just drives it really back and forth to BRCC, so mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's That's, not on the road that much. But, yeah, uh, but it really is a check. I mean, right yeah. on top, if you got a plug socket, you can get them, get them out and look at them. It just takes 10 minutes at most. Yeah, just be careful with the wires. Right. Those wires usually last the life of the car. Yeah. Unless to- unless something happens to them as so far you're, as you're, damage. Toyota wires hardly uh, ever go out. They hardly ever go out. Well, your, your biggest concern is the coolant issue, then. Coolant is by far yeah. your biggest issue. It'll and total a vehicle if you don't get it yeah, out Yeah, it, it'll there. eat that car to pieces. I mean, I've had cars come in, I tell people, hey, it's not worth fixing. It's done. You know, it's, it's corroded, mm-hmm. man. It's eating up the heater core. It's eating up the radiator. It's eating up the head gaskets. Yeah. Usually the heater core goes out first because it's made of the thinner aluminum. Yeah, and that's under the dash. Yeah. So, you know, and you're talking 14 hours labor and, you know, right that's there. That's scaring me, man. Well, yeah, that's not anything to mess with, <laughs> no, I tell you. not. I would probably also go ahead and change the transmission fluid in that about now, Wade. Yeah. Go ahead yep. and change the fluid and filter. Even though they say it'll go 100, I don't find where it'll go 100. Yeah, that uh, was a little leery about that when he told me mm-hmm. that all that stuff. Yeah, they claim they will, and probably some will. And, you know, if you could throw the car away after 100, you could probably do that pretty easy. <laughs> but if you plan on pushing it a little bit beyond that, you're not going to hurt yourself any change it a little bit sooner. Well, guys, I tell you what, you guys do a great job, man. And well, thank uh, you. Keep up the good work. You could be on it for eight hours a day, and I'd listen. <laughs> eight hours. Man, well, I appreciate it. All right, bye. Thanks, Wade. Bye-bye. All right, boy, we got to get on out of here. We're just about out of time. Tell everybody, 
how much we appreciate him listening this morning and every morning to the radio show. That's right. And, and go ahead. <laughs> tell you to go to iTunes, give us a written rating if you don't mind, a written review. That kind of moves us up in the ratings, and they have moved us up. Actually had us featured there a couple hey, weeks ago. Hey, all right. Yeah. It's about time. Well, I tell you. But, yeah, we really appreciate that, and that does help to move us up so other folks can hear us, and that's the whole point of the whole thing. That's right. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.